Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Tonight begins the Tritium. It is the highest celebration of the church each and every year. It spans the three days of Christ's passion from the night our Lord broke bread, instituting the Holy Supper, and the betrayal that later followed. It goes to the day in which he rose from the dead. The holy assembly of the faithful that is gathered here this night is gathered for this purpose of celebrating the greatest mysteries of our redemption, keeping with remembrance our Lord's crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. This night we keep at the heart of our worship the blessed sacrament of the altar. For as it is said, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And it is by the Lord's death that you and I can rejoice and have the joy everlasting. For it is his blood that covers us. It is his blood that raises us. It is his blood that makes us to reign on high with him. Now it was during this Lenten season that you heard the call of the Lord to intensify your struggle against sin and death and the devil. And each and every one of you that followed devoting your time to reading the Bible and the devotions, you found that you were told to truly examine your hearts and that whatsoever impurities you found there, you were to confess them to the Lord. Whether it was in general confession or whether it was in the gift of the private confession and absolution, No matter the case, you were not to hide your sins. You were not to hide yourself from the Lord, but you gave yourself to him. You gave over those sins and impurities to the Lord, for he, Jesus the Christ, crucified them in his body. And then it was with true faith, even as you heard this night, that your sins are forgiven. Do not doubt it, but believe it. Your sins are gone, absolved. Now, no one except the Spirit of God can truly see whether or not you have done this, whether or not you have heeded the Lord's call, whether or not you have received in faith that absolution. Nor can it be seen beforehand if you will keep fruits in bearing with repentance. So we heed the voice of St. Paul. We listen to the warning which he gives, the honest appraisal of the human race. Because we do not think little of the fellowship that we share around the holy altar. We do not take Lightly, the physical communion of the faithful around the body and blood of Christ because it is the immortal medicine for our soul. St. Paul writes, But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. 
to the Corinthians, specifically those who were eating and drinking without proper examination. They gave themselves over into gluttony and drunkenness without care for what the Lord was truly offering. He writes, they eat and drink judgment upon themselves. He says, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. We make such a big fuss over germs, but yet the thing that the Lord warns us against is coming forward in unbelief, in unrepentance. We must sincerely heed these words of St. Paul for no faithful shepherd of the flock wishes to see any member of his congregation sick or ill or having died for drinking judgment upon themselves. So he, when considering who to admit to the supper and who to withhold it from, if that be at least for a short while, so that true and proper examination of the heart may occur, it is done sincerely out of love and care for the soul. For a shepherd is first called to love, to love as his dear Savior, the good shepherd, the great high shepherd. He loved by rebuking sin and bringing forgiveness to bear upon it. Love knowingly allows one to go forward and another to not. Love is out of God's love. For the human being that repents of their sin and receives absolution, who confesses that they have not rightly loved God and upheld his word and desire to amend their ways and do better. It is a greater love to withhold such a powerful medicine until one understands his need and makes proper use of it. Consider even the Last Supper of our Lord as such an example. We know from reading in John that the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas to rise from the supper and go to betray Christ. But it was his heart, not the only one which was impure and lacking from a true examination. You see, Jesus arose from his reclined position at the table He laid aside his outer garment, wrapped a towel around his waist, filled a basin with water, all to do a job that was the most despised among them. It was the job normally held for the servants who were normally Gentiles or lower Jews. You see, Jesus takes this disgusting job of washing the filth from the disciples' feet He cleans the messy feet, and it was out of humility that he takes such a job. He allows himself to be derobed and humiliated even before the people, because this was to signify what would later happen that night. In order to secure the blood which cleanses and has the power to wash away our sins, to bring forth life where there was only death, he must be stripped, bare, He must be led away. He must be crucified in order to wash clean the filth, not from our bodies only, but from our souls.
but not all wanted this service of the master. Some wished to even refuse it and tell the Lord that it shall never be so. And there we see that the one coming to the Lord's Supper, boasting in his own understanding, is already not worthy to receive it. This is what we see not only in Corinth, but also among such disciples like Peter, who denies the service which the Master offers. The whole gathering which God intends for his church is so that he might serve them. It is first called the divine service, where God humbly comes to us in the word and in the sacrament to refresh our soul. And then we might properly call it a worship service, by which we respond with praise and thanksgiving for God's blessed attendance. We must pay a careful attention to the Lord who institutes such a supper. We must pay careful attention to the one who sets the table, who prepares the disciples, and who offers the blessing. It is Jesus himself. Jesus is the one who institutes the meal. He is the one who blesses it. He is the one who outlines the gifts. He tells what something is and the purpose for which something is given and what should be done with it. To you and I has been given exactly what the apostles received from Christ, the most holy sacrament of the church, so that all might partake in this blessed unity. However, there can be no true unity or share with Christ for the one who will not receive Christ and submit to his washing and the purification which comes by his word. Jesus says, you call me a master and a Lord, and you rightly do, for I am that. As I have now washed your feet, you should also wash others' feet. It was by this word that Jesus taught them the fullness of the ministry of God, which Jesus himself fulfills. It is found in the cleansing of sinful hearts from the filth of sin. No sin can thus be ignored, as we have learned in our study. It must be exposed, confessed, forgiven, and thus purified. Drowned in the depths of the sea, as far as the east is from the west, so far has it been removed from you. We must be careful, however, not to torture ourselves trying to remember and enumerate every single one of our transgressions. But neither can we make little of the sins that we do not remember. Instead, we plead guilty before God of all sins. We do not try to hide from him, for he knows what we have done in secret, even if we forget it. We pray before God to forgive us of all sins as we do in the Lord's Prayer. And before the pastor, we plead guilty of those which we know and feel in our hearts. This is why you have heard in the exhortation at the beginning of the Tritium this night, that since it is our intention to receive the blessed meal for our salvation, we must complete our Lenten discipline by diligently examining ourselves. This is the life of the Christian. It's not just the Lenten journey, although we see it come to its fruition this night. 
as we strip the altar, as we remember that our Lord was stripped and led before the high council, as he was led forth to Pilate and to the cross where he would hang and be crucified, we know that we must sincerely examine ourselves, for it is our sins that he took to the cross. I want you to consider for just a moment in your own life what you see and what you hear, what you've been exposed to, knowingly or unknowingly, it makes no difference, for you will quickly see that you walk on filthy paths. You are in a sinful world. No matter where you work or where you shop, where you serve, it does not matter. Your feet are bound to get dirty. No one shows up on the Lord's day for the feast of Christ with pure and unsoiled feet. So there must be this constant humility in allowing Christ to wash your feet. But that means you must first admit that they are dirty and in need of his cleansing. And what is the Lord's cleansing? But the constant turning in repentance from your sins and expecting and hoping, asking for the Lord's absolution and believing that your sins are truly forgiven before God in heaven. Realizing your sins, turning from your sins, confessing your sins, wanting to do better may make you feel as though you are and have been extremely dirty. And so you are right. You may quickly confess with Peter that you need a new baptism. You need God to not just wash your feet, but your hands and your body and your head and all parts of you. But know this. The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. That is why I have such good news for you, because in baptism you have been washed. It is like St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You have been washed, you have been sanctified, you have been made righteous through the name of our Lord Jesus and through the Spirit of God. So I tell you the truth. Tonight, as you draw near to the altar to receive the life-giving body and blood of the Lord, this is for your comfort. You are washed and sanctified, truly forgiven. All those who have confessed the faith, been instructed and know what it is that they are receiving, come with full confidence and assurity that the Lord will greet you here with the blood that cleanses your soul from all sin, which restores to your conscience the peace which is beyond all understanding. I know that there is a great struggle sometimes in the faith, but we learn from the, from the correction as St. Peter did. We learn why it is important for the Lord to yet rebuke his children, because in rebuking them, he makes stronger our faith. He turns us away from the dirtiness of our life. For we know that if we deny this, this simple washing of Christ, that there is much more that we might also deny. So instead, put that far from you. Let God establish in your heart the sure and 
certain trust in Christ. Have confidence in the plain words of Jesus when he most especially says, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. And take, drink, this is my blood of the New Testament poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. This is the testament of his salvation for you. This is the testament, his promise that he has forgiven your sins. This is the supper of the Lord, the great and high and holy feast for which God fills you with his love in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Let God overwhelm you with this, the great gift of Christ in the holy meal, that it may be an abundant blessing in your life and sustenance for your trip in this world. For you shall not stay here forever. There is yet the greater meal to be held before the Lamb and his kingdom, which shall have no end. Amen.